Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My name's Catherine Carr, and this is season two of Relatively the podcast all about potentially the longest relationships of your life. So you can tell who you, which one is the, is the professional, can't you? Me. With the, with the <laughs> plug-in mic and the headphones. I know, I've got that little thing that comes around like I'm a gym instructor. Quite excited. I'll be bringing siblings together to talk about the connections they have as adults, as well as what it was like growing up together. I could convince her that the next-door neighbours were, indeed, Russian spies. Either we were going out to find an otter or we were going out to find a pair of high-waisted flares. In this episode, we're talking to the naturalist Chris Packham. I'm Chris Packham, and I'm therefore the sibling, the older brother of Jenny Packham. And his sister, the fashion designer Jenny Packham. My name's Jenny Packham, and I'm four years younger than him. But I'll also talk to them separately to get a more private take on the relationship. I was forever, you know, Chris Packham's sister. And I'm not, I'm not actually bitter about that. I actually really liked that. If I'm in the bar and I've bought a drink and someone comes up and starts a conversation with me, then thanks to my sister's tutelage, rather than run a mile, I can respond. Brothers and sisters are never straightforward. Chris and Jenny grew up in Southampton in a house full of creativity and sometimes conflict. Having Asperger's but being undiagnosed made teenage life especially difficult for Chris, who relied on Jenny to help him through. We talk about that, about birdwatching, otters and duckbill platypus, but Chris started by describing the moment he met his baby sister for the first time. I don't remember my mother being pregnant, but I do remember my sister being born. And I remember my father taking me upstairs to see my mother in bed with my sister for the first time. It was curtains drawn, hushed tones, my mother looking uh, worse for wear, and some sort of poorly formed pink blob being cradled in her (laughs) arms. Obviously wasn't terribly enamoured with the idea of having a sister at that point. I, I don't remember too much angst to be honest with you but I do have quite a distinct memory of being led up the stairs to see something ostensibly special and being actually quite unimpressed had it had it, had it been an otter or a bat or a baby <laughs> t-rex I'd have been ecstatic and would never have forgotten it but a, a, a human infant swaddled in my mother's arms just couldn't live up to the expectation at that point I'm afraid I, I know that I didn't talk until I was three And I think possibly one of the reasons for that was because, you know, Chris was apparently very chatty and probably taking up a lot of the space. But um, I don't know. I I honestly can't think of when I first sort of acknowledged him as, as being there because I think you just accept it very quickly. Now, tell me that hasn't persisted throughout. You are impressed with her now. Of course, I'm enormously in awe of my sister. She has achieved 
remarkable things coming from the humble background that we have. And she stayed resolute throughout the years. There have been opportunities when she could have worked for other people, but she remained determined to have and maintain her own label. And I, you know, have constantly been impressed by her determination. So, yeah, Mm. I'm I'm a fan. When she was little, was that determination and stubbornness there? Because the way she tells it, you were kind of... um sort of ruling the roost a little bit and she was falling in line with a lot of your plans so I wonder when she asserted herself and became that stubborn determined young woman Uh, one of the characteristics of my personality is that I'm quite didactic and 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 quite manipulative and as a consequence I had Jenny wrapped around my little finger for much of her youth it's not that she didn't fight back Um, she was strong-willed but the four years difference in our age meant that I was sort of slightly smarter and as a consequence I could lead her into the middle of nettle beds to look at <laughs> ducks' nests and I could convince her that there was about to be a nuclear attack and we would have to dash indoors and duck and cover beneath the table. So I did lead her on some pretty merry Japes, I have to say, it was quite exploitative. As long as I had that four years advantage, but of course it soon fizzled out, and her her smartness caught up, and then she was more difficult to um, to get to do any of those sorts of things. I've always just sort of completely idolised him, I suppose, and he really was sort of quite a hero to me. So I just went along with it, you know, whatever it was. He was he was wonderful to be around, actually. My father um, has an inexhaustible thirst for knowledge he needs to know something as I do so that I know where it is relative to other things and what it means uh, therefore collectively and so my dad would take me to every museum whether it was military natural history so on and so forth and and that was every weekend every opportunity I've got that same gene that I have to know things. I'm happy to sit down and listen to someone tell me how a washing machine works, if they know how it works, because I'd like the idea of knowing how a washing machine works. I don't need that knowledge, you might argue, but I I can't resist it at the same time. Do you think Chris was setting some of the tone, or do you think the tone was set by your parents and happily your brother just fit in with this busy, creative setup? Um, Well, whatever happened, I think my parents sort of got on board very quickly. I mean, I think Chris, you know, if he wanted to do something, he wanted to go somewhere. You know, after a while, we all sort of realised that it was going to happen anyway. So (laughs) we might as well well get on with it and enjoy it, which, you know, we did. And I wonder then when you got a bit older and you came across school friends with bigger brothers or littler brothers and you went to Mm. their houses, whether that difference between... Chris and their siblings struck you I remember reading somewhere you were like where are the lizards in your house (laughs) whatever you grow up with you presume is very normal actually so to me I didn't really think much about the fact that you know there was animals everywhere I looked and snakes coming down the stairs and all my family were very sort of creatives they were always all doing something I think that's what I would really you know, say about my family. There was never a sort of time where we didn't know what to do or we were just sort of lounging about much. Um, (laughs) We weren't allowed to have lay-ins. We had to get up, we had to do things and there was always a project or there was always a plan for the weekend. When I went to other people's houses, maybe I found them a bit boring, actually, I'd have to say. Maybe I just sort of thought, where, you know, where is everything? (laughs) Up until a certain point, she was a, a, a nuisance. When we went to a museum, she wanted to leave after 
well, probably 10 minutes, I don't know. But, you know, and I never wanted to leave. You know, I, 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 if I could, I'd have gone to the museum and stayed there until closing time. And even then I'd have been hiding behind one of the cabinets. So she, she didn't seem to have the attention span that I had. And certainly when we went out, if we were doing, say if we were rambling, we'd gone out to look for birds or reptiles or something like that, then, you know, again, there was always conflict there because I'd stay to the, want to stay to the bitter end, you know, I'd catch one, <laughs> one more grass snake, as it were. Um, and she would want to go. So there was quite a lot of, certainly resentment from my part, up until the time she must have been about 10, and then we could start doing things separately. And my mother would do things with my sister or my dad would do something with my sister and I'd do something with my mum. I mean, lovely to have an older sibling who's full of passion and plans, right, on the mm. weekend. But when did you sort of start to think maybe you wanted to get out from his slipstream a little bit and pursue your own passions? Well, I think when my legs were completely covered in stinging nettle <laughs> bites. <laughs> um, I think the, the going around looking for birds, I, I was quite often sick in the car and then you know I'd get there and we'd be sort of trudging through the undergrowth then I'd stand under a tree whilst him and my dad sort of looked up it for a long time maybe sort of 10 11 I was sort of getting a bit what about me (laughs) yeah and was that just a sort of natural what about me we all get those feelings at about that age you're coming into your own little self really or was there a kind of all the oxygens being sucked into talk about otters and t-rexes I mean, looking back at my younger self now, I think it's quite sweet of me to sort of decide to do something that, first of all, he wouldn't be interested in, you know, because he was very good at everything. I was always actually, when I joined the school, he'd just left the school. We went to infant school, middle school Mm. and senior school. So every time I started, he'd have just left. And, you know, I could tell that, you know, he'd had an impact and I was forever Chris Packham's sister. So I'm not actually bitter about that. I actually really liked that. I, I didn't mind that at all because I was also very sort of proud of him. But when it came to sort of finding something that we could have a sort of a very mutual respect for each other. So I think for mm-hmm. me, fashion definitely gave me that because I loved drawing and I loved making things. And then I discovered there was a job called a fashion designer. And that was kind of it, really. And also the fact it was like, yeah, I can have some space here. I mean, I can paint and draw, and so can my father. So she was quite, you know, keen to do something in her way. If I did, if I did a drawing that was all black and miserable, she'd come in with the equivalent of Van Gogh sunflowers. You know, it was it was that. <laughs> I can see where that desire for some of her own space creatively and um, in terms of expression might have come from. Given what you've just described, I can I get that. Oh, it was that. I mean, our home was a. When I think back on it, I mean, we were furiously competitive and nothing was ever good enough. You know, nothing. I mean, who told you that? Your parents or you told yourself? Yeah, nothing that we did was good enough for our parents. But then, you know, it didn't matter because it wasn't good enough for us either. I mean, I've never taken a photograph that I've put on my own wall. I've never been happy with a single one of them. I'm sure my sister might look at all of her creations and say, if only I had done. Um, You know, that's part and parcel of our character. I think it's actually really important. It's that that keeps us going. We believe that if we keep going and we keep making mistakes and learn from them, that we can get better. So it's a a frustrating, disappointing, often... uh, painful uh part of a uh, of a process you know where we we want perfection we're not stupid enough to think we can ever get it but our quest is to get as close to it as possible what were your roles when you were little in the family and are they sort of the same would you say is someone like the cheerful one the responsible one the organizer or that sort of thing yeah i'm i'm i've always been a bit of a fixer 
Um, so, you know, if, if him and my mum had had a bit of a falling out, I was always the one in the middle trying to pull them all back together a bit because, you know, we did have, you know, really kind of lively dinner time sometimes. You know, Chris is very sort of strong with his opinion. My mum was very strong with hers. I tried. <laughs> I usually gave in. I think I would be generally the sort of go-between. Yeah, and I suppose sort of looking out for everyone and trying to sort of support, I suppose. Mm. It's quite a ti- can be quite a tiring one. It's quite a nice one, but it can be quite tiring, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And what was his role then, do you think? Um, I think his role was to get everyone to do... <laughs> <laughs> I like to say my dad was a driver, my mum was catering, I was probably quite annoying most of the time, but I was there to sort of marvel, I think, at where we were or what we were doing or what he'd done. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think I've ever really got to that, you know, how Chris actually sees my role. My sister offered, I think, my parents um, some stability compared to myself you know, and because of the difficulties that I was facing in, in, in even in sensory terms, um, she, she was, you might say, better behaved. Um, and that must have given them some respite from the, the challenges that they faced. My parents were enormously supportive. They didn't have any ability um, to understand what was going on. I think they thought I was a slightly um, eccentric, obsessional um, maybe sometimes difficult um, ch- child, young person. Um, and, and that led to, you know, a lot of conflict. And certainly by the time I got to my, my teens, it, there was conflict became sometimes like warfare, really, to be honest with you. She was more sociable and she had more friends and she would meet with our relatives with a greater degree of enthusiasm than than I could ever pretend to muster. So I, I think that, yeah, she was part of a stabilising force. And what was your role then? I was the fire starter. I, <laughs> I think I did bring something to the equation. You know, I, I, I hope that I brought a lot of stimulation and an enormous amount of energy. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. my obsessional interest in things meant that if I was into tawny owls, then our family knew everything about tawny owls because I would tell them uh, repeatedly until it suddenly switched to common shrews um, or tyrannosaurs or whatever it happened to be. And and, and it was quite difficult because th- things would turn on a, on a sixpence 
And I remember my father didn't have a lot of money um, and we would go to the library and borrow as many books as we could. But my parents were very keen on providing me with, with books. Um, I, I, I love books and, 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 and they did too. So they would buy what they could afford. And, and I was massively, massively into otters at one point. And um, my father came in with a book on otters, but unfortunately it arrived the day after I'd moved on from otters and I was, I was on to <laughs> duck-billed platypuses. So he came in and put the book down and... You know, the day before, all I could talk about was Lutra Lutra and, 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 you know, otters eating crayfish and all of this sort of stuff. And then he put it down and I had no interest in it at all because I was now on duckbill platypus, you know, and that... That's crushing for your dad. It was awful. It was, it was, it was, it was terrible. And, and, and my mother would always say, you know, I was the most tactless person in the world because I would constantly say what I thought. And certainly in that home environment where it was, say so it was tolerated, but it could never have been pleasant. And of course, where it didn't work was at, at school when you, you started. When I started to say things that I thought when they, you know, other kids had realised they didn't like them, then that, that led to all sorts of other problems. A lot of this podcast is about how you understand your relationship when you were children and and then when Mm. you're older obviously you reprocess things and you understand the world a bit more and then you look back at that childish relationship Mm. and obviously Chris you talk about his obsessions and um, his enthusiasms and it was later on that you and your family realized that that was part of something broader and deeper and a diagnosis actually and I wonder when you look back now how you kind of think about how you thought about him as a child versus what you know Mm. now or whether it's not changed that much at all? No, it it hasn't changed much, actually. I I think I don't feel that anything could have been much different at the time because I think, obviously, there wasn't appreciation of the time of autism, Asperger's. Um, I think that he was lucky in one way that he had a family that just went with it. I think the things that we couldn't do anything about were obviously when people with Asperger's hit uh, teenage years and that feeling of sort of isolation and how different they feel. Looking back now, I can see when the pain started and when the kickback started happening. I have a daughter with Asperger's and I can see it all, how it works. But as I think as parents, there's, there's, there's only actually so much you can do. You can't make someone feel like everyone else. You know, it's not going to happen. I think when Chris's book came out a few years ago, that was when we really kind of, you know, I mean, I say it's a a very late point to really sort of understand it. And I think there was a denial in me as well, because to me, there was absolutely nothing amiss with him. And obviously, you know, I know that he's, he's always been quite sort of different, but, but for me, what I deeply regret, perhaps about not knowing more was that perhaps some of my communication over the years you can't with someone with Asperger's you can't hint at what you want once there was an understanding and I did all the reading and came to terms with it now you know our communication is so much easier I say to him not oh dad's going to be on his own this weekend it's like can you go and see dad and it's like yep no problem and um did you know when he was at school that he was and you know unhappy did you you say that you arrived at each school as he left and that he left a a legacy of being sort of quite brilliant in lots of ways did you know that he Mm -hmm. was struggling to fit in and make friends the thing is you know the same with my own daughter you know they they do kind of 
you know, especially the high functioning Asperger's, they, they do an amazing job of masking so that they will really appear to be fitting in mm. and intensely sort of private about the underlying feelings. I think at some point there's real anger that comes through because of all that effort that is going in to basically pretending and masking what's really happening. I think that's a lot of energy and a sort of feeling of resentment really builds up. So I think that's when you suddenly are hit by this sort of, you know, extreme anger, which obviously the punk music for Chris was, you know, what was bouting out of his bedroom was probably how exactly how he was feeling at that time. I was very, very angry, you know, as a young man. Um, my sister wasn't as angry as I was. I'm not saying that she was entirely content and, and, and comfortable with everything that was going on in the world, but she didn't want to smash it up as much as I did. One funny story, actually, which I've, I don't think I've mentioned for a very long time, is that he sent me down to the Virgin Records shop one afternoon quite early on in the sort of punk era because mm. um, I was always given jobs to do by him <laughs> and I had to go and get a, a record by Blondie and in front of the whole very cool this was the coolest place in Southampton to be this record <laughs> shop and in front of everyone I asked for have they got Dennis Dennis <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Dennis yeah okay my sister wasn't into the whole punk scene to be quite honest with you she had a little, like a mod phase I think it was the punk fashion that didn't appeal to her she, she she liked things that were clean and and neat and so the whole retro mod thing which strangely enough I you know wear so much more these days with sort of 50s polo shirts and all of those sorts of things it's taken me a long time to catch up with those well actually there we are by my own admission it's taken me 45 years to catch up with my sister's fashion sense um I think it's fair to say that young women develop more rapidly than young men certainly their sexual social political uh, awareness so when she became a, a teenager um she overtook me um, my Asperger's was really troubling at that time and I was holding myself back or being held back by that and she stormed ahead and as a consequence of that I became reliant upon her for you know social interactions and social skills and she would have to drag me you know kicking and screaming to a, a party if she could that otherwise I, I would never even have acknowledged that might exist. So uh, at that point, she definitely took the lead. And she said, and she reflected about this with her own daughter as well, that she could see when you hit your teenage years that the effort of masking and sort of fitting in and sort of wanting to be other and all of that, the a absolute effort and exhaustion of it sort of mounted up into anger. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I... I you know, I felt I, I was at that point, I was still blaming myself. It was clear that I was in the minority and therefore I believed that the majority were right and therefore I was wrong. I was the broken one. Um, and so I turned on myself and self-loathing became central to my existence um, and therefore sort of punishing myself for being different was a was a an exhausting thing. Um, I never really gave up. I, I'm, I'm not a, a giver up. So I, I constantly tried to overcome this. But every time I did, I was rebuffed by my peers and put back in my place where I wasn't very comfortable. And so in the end, 
my solution to that, the only management that I could I could utilize was to just completely dif- disengage, and that's what I did. I I I can I, to the best of my ability, given that I was still in full time education, I disengaged with everyone else in the world. I just went into a shell where I could protect myself. Um, so I would go to when I started university, the first couple of years, you know, I I I. I'd say 20 pence, please, twice a day to a bus conductor. And that was all I would speak all day because I, I wouldn't speak to anyone else. I, it was just a recipe for disaster if I did. And I didn't want to be vulnerable anymore. I wanted to be strong, but it was so hard. So, yeah, it was pretty pretty tough, actually. And, and it must have been quite tough for my sister to have been watching this. She knew how, you know desperately creative I was how passionate I could be about you know certainly the natural world and and other things too Um, but a lot of that was squashed or put into the background just to get me through every day Mm. yeah I think I you know complete sort of unconditional love so it didn't we would always find a way he would obviously go into some quite sort of deep moods um but they'd never really pushed me away. I, I, that, that, that wasn't obviously ever an option. I suppose there's always been a complete acceptance for me about how he is and al- almost a sort of a celebration of it because um, I think actually I, because of my relationship with him, I probably have sort of a lot of people that have come into my life, I feel probably do have Asperger's because I think of them as probably very normal and that enthusiasm Mm. they have for things and the commitment. So I don't know, I just feel very fortunate, actually. It was something that, you know, before we had the name Asperger's, I I think for someone like Chris, who's very high functioning, we would have actually just called them gifted, which maybe didn't do them too many favours because it doesn't deal with the underlying issues Mm. but at the same time it does celebrate the positive yeah I wonder if when she dragged you to those teenage parties um whether you were grateful for her as this kind of bridge to an easier breezier way of being as teenagers I don't think she got me to any teenage parties I think she got me to some (laughs) parties when I'd left university and I was beginning at that point to come up with a, a what I call a management strategy and what other people call masking in order to sort of survive socially um, and at that point she might say that I, I I sort of came back out of my shell as it were and I, I wouldn't have been able to do that without her I would never have, have had the courage to do that I, I still I, I, I still don't start many conversations I'm, I'm very happy to partake in them not with strangers you know I'm not the sort of person, I don't go to pubs for obvious reasons, but if I did go to pubs, I'm not the sort of person who would go in, buy a drink at the bar, sit down and and engage someone in in conversation. That would be the last thing that would happen. But if I'm in the bar and I bought a drink and someone comes up and starts a conversation with me, then thanks to my sister's tutelage um, in in those early 20s, I can, rather than run a mile, which I previously had been doing, um, I, I can, you know, I can respond. So again, I think that strangely, having gone through an academic education, um, which was imperatively important to what I wanted to do, in order to have done what I have done, those parties and social situations that my sister took me to and encouraged me to partake in uh, after my university were strangely, strangely, inordinately valuable. 
I was wondering how how often you guys speak. So when I get siblings together, I'm always fascinated to know when I talk to them like this, when the last time they talked together was. I wonder when the last time you guys talked together was. About three hours ago, I think. (laughs) I mean, to be quite honest with you, I don't have... um, Jen has friends, you know. um, But I, I, I have Charlotte and Megan, who's my stepdaughter, and that's it. So in terms of sort of intellectual stimulation, and certainly artistic stimulation, you know... There's one or two people who I know professionally who might drop me a text saying, you should watch such and such. But apart from that, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that my sister's film's recommendations are particularly brilliant, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> but, but, I, but I do, but I, but I do than, seek them and then nothing. watch them and then, and then <laughs> phone up and moan about how terrible they are for, for, for 45 minutes. Yeah. I, I think what I really enjoy about um, our relationship is the, you know, there is no dishonesty. It is if I ask him what a collection looked like after I've had a show, he will go through each style and tell me in great detail which ones were good and which ones were really not good. And he does the same with my life, you know. And he's not always right. Just because he's honest, it doesn't mean he's right about everything. But it is a nice point of view to have. And I can't deal very well with dishonesty in any shape or form. It's something that I can't... I don't know when anyone's being sort of dishonest or not kind of straight with me. So actually, I've, I find that all very good for me. Well, yeah, because she knows I'm going to tell her exactly what I think. Not that perhaps what I think is of any relevance when it comes to her collections, because I'm. it's not a field of expertise that I have. But I will tell her, obviously, in an uncontrolled and unconfined fashion, as I you know, mentioned before, in what my mother used to call a tactless way, exactly what I think. And maybe she's, you know, well anything like me um that she probably isn't surrounded by people that are going to going to do that i mean i i'm unfortunately a recipient of far more uh, flattery than criticism and flattery is of absolutely no use to me the criticism could be so you know and i listen to jen as well i mean she from time to time will send me advice on 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 some moral or ethical dilemma it's generally pretty grounded and good advice if i'm honest with you I was going to ask you that, Jenny, when you feel, given that Chris says he doesn't have that many people that he sort of has contact with like you, and you're his sister, you've been there all the way through, you've seen him through difficult times and better times, do you step in when you think it might be getting tricky for him again, or if he might be pursuing something that you think this isn't very good for your mental health or your head? What's your... Yeah, no, I, I actually I actually really think that that's you know, a job of mine, actually. <laughs> And sometimes if I if I see something and I'm bothered or perhaps he's sort of telling me something he might do or I, I don't know, sometimes if I find myself struggling with it, I feel I really have to say something because I think what he said about in both of our businesses, actually, you're, you're very surrounded by people that are going to tell you that everything's amazing or that was brilliant. You know, Chris and I, we definitely know how things are going. For instance, if I do something and I, I know it didn't go very well, I, I certainly don't want to ring Chris and for him to say, oh, that was really great. You know, that I, I just want him to say, no, that wasn't very good. And then I can acknowledge that I was right and et cetera. But I, I do think the sort of if we're wandering off and getting into sort of dangerous ground with something, you know, and I find dead animals tied to your, your gate outside your house, you know. And I know, you know, I'll see a picture of Chris holding the dead animal and being very sort of strong about it and that it's not going to affect him but ultimately it's horrible and uh, why wouldn't someone be upset about that kind of thing so you know those dead animals you know the dead animals yeah i got the sc- i got the skulls out of them good 
for my for my skull collection. <laughs> well, they, they 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 were, you know, they were, you know, they were sacrifices, weren't they? I mean, it was, it's, you know. Anyway, strange people. Chris, you invite attention sometimes. You use your platform for good, um, but you do live with the gaze of attention upon you. And I wonder, Jenny, whether you worry that that's a lot of attention to be focused on one man when it's your brother who you must worry about sometimes. When he's getting death threats, you know, that's that's not very nice. That's That would be horrible for anyone. But at the same time, I'm immensely proud to have a brother who's really... So few people nowadays are really willing to sort of shout above the noise to kind of really say what they really mean and to cause trouble. I'm so proud that he does that. I just think it's going to be very, very uncomfortable at times. Do you know she's proud of you, Chris? Um, I suppose so. She just said so, but I don't know how, how proud. <laughs> it's so difficult for me because I don't have a choice. You know, I, I've you know acquired a platform unintentionally, found myself working where I, I can communicate to a large number of people, relatively large number of people, and I, I have a duty to try and change their minds for good because... It, that that's what I'm here for. There is no there is no choice. So I'm gonna get those death threats. I'm gonna face difficulties and and, and setbacks on account of sticking my head above the parapet. Um, so in, in a way, I'm kind of resigned to that as being part of a a, a process. But um, I think Jen's right. It's sometimes it's quite a lonely position to be in because there aren't that many other people doing it, you know, certainly within the environmental field. There are a lot of people who might say, we're right behind you. Uh, But occasionally, when you get to the toughest part of the fight, it would be a bit more useful if they were standing alongside you rather than being behind you. So sometimes, once in a while, not very often, I can feel slightly resentful that I appear to be one of only very few, you know, ardent public campaigners. But at the same time, like I said, you know, I, the, the, there isn't there isn't any choice. It didn't really answer your question, does it? Did I do I know that my sister's proud of me? I, I I hope I hope that she respects that I'm doing it for the right reasons, and I know that she does. So that that that's confidence enough for me. Thank you to Chris and to Jenny, and thank you too for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and um, finally, do you have a nickname for him, or does he have one for you? No, I, I thought about that. We don't have nicknames, actually, none of us. He calls me Jen. But he's always like, Jen, Jen, which is quite nice. I like that. I don't, actually. I'm, again, sort of not one for such fripperies, really. (laughs) You know, we had code names when we were doing our, you know, when I was a secret (laughs) agent, you know. What were they? Well, they would be complex numerals because I'd have to test her, you know. So (laughs) they'd be 15 to 20, 25 complex numerals and she'd have to learn them all. Otherwise, you know, she would fail the test and as a consequence, she'd have to go back into the lab for retraining. Thank you too to Tanita Tickerham, who let us use this amazing song. Sound design is by Nick Carter at Nick Sonics and digital production by Charlotte Griffiths. Next week, the Operation Out twins, Dr. Chris and Dr. Zan Van Tullicum. They talk about food, weight and completing each other. To find out more about the podcast or to see some really sweet photos of Chris and Jenny, head to relativelypodcast.com. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Stand by the fireside. There's a good tradition of love and hate. Stand by.
fireside, another rain may fall. Your father's calling you, you still feel safe inside, only your mom's too proud. Your brother's ignoring you, you still feel safe inside. Oh, was it solo? Was it yesterday? Was it true for you? Cause while all the rest have taken time, I still didn't do Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 